0: Good morning. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians 11, and today we're going to do communion. If you don't have the communion stuff, Ryan will pass it out here in a little bit for you. Uh, But uh, I say that because he's in there. Um, I've been praying about this message all week, and I did not want to teach from 1 Corinthians 11. I thought, well, this is a message, this is a scripture we always go into, and the Lord just would not let me shake it. And uh, so last night after worship, I'm at home and I'm praying and I just know where we have to go in this. And uh, so I'm going to just give a quick breakdown of communion. Uh, most of us know, but I want reminders because actually 1 Corinthians 11 is reminding us how we should be acting or what we should be doing. And uh, and how many of you know that if you really truly did a teaching on, first, or on uh, communion, It'd be a four-part series at the least. Like, there's so much with communion and, and the Seder Supper and uh, Passover and all that. But just going to give you a quick background before we get into 1 Corinthians 11. And, you know, if you go all the way back to the beginning in first, or in Genesis 3, after man sinned, the first thing that God had to do was kill an animal to cover their flesh. They were not naked. They were naked, but not ashamed before they sinned. They were okay. They were, they were in righteousness. And the moment they sinned, they knew they were unrighteous. And God had to kill an animal to clothe them, to cover them, right? And so that's what happened from the beginning. And then if you go further in and you're, uh, and you're in the Rahab time period, you see the reason why they covered the Passover, why they celebrated it was, you know, Rahab was told that you would slaughter an animal, put the blood above the door, and anybody who had blood above their door, you know, uh, punishment would be, the wrath would be passed over them. They wouldn't suffer the wrath. And uh, they they would begin celebrating in that way. But even to the point, though, that if you look over all the periods of time that they would uh, celebrate Passover, they'd celebrate the Seder Supper. Even though... Uh, they would sacrifice the animals. There'd be bloodshed. Uh, there'd be burnt offerings. There was, you know, something always had to be sacrificed for sin. It was never enough, like that—that that it would be lasting. And there was a commitment from the the people of the time period that you would have to—I mean, you truly had to fully repent for it to work, and uh, which is still the same today. But In their time period, still the only person who can go into the Holy of Holies was one person, and that was the high priest. And I'm going to tell you how serious God took the the Passover of the time period and how serious it was for him to completely repent, then examine himself and make sure he was right with the Lord before he walked into the Holy of Holies, because you would walk into the Holy of Holies with a rope tied around your belt and a bell on you. And if they hear you when you walk in there, they hear that bell ring, it means you just fell dead, and they would pull you right back out because you were not right with the Lord. And so to say that this is not a serious thing is uh would be crazy because the Lord took it pretty serious, but as we know, no animal, every year they had to do it over and over and over because no animal could, could cover those sins. No animal could be a lasting... uh covenant and so then jesus comes and he dies and uh you know he said he is the the bread he is the wine and his body is broken and and his blood shed for us and he becomes the new covenant and his body his blood only had to be sacrificed once for us forever but when we take communion you know it's in that same way we're reminded of what he did for us and who he is and uh so we're going to do that in a little bit, but we have to examine ourselves because we need to be right with the Lord because there's a lot of warnings that Paul gives us here. So I'm going to pray before we get into the Scripture. And uh I just want our hearts to be ready to do communion and and uh, just understand what was going on. And so let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we thank you for who you are, Lord. We thank you, Jesus, that you had such a perfect plan for us, Lord, that, uh, that you lived for us, you died for us, you sacrificed yourself to cover our sins forever, Lord. You made the atonement for all time, Lord. Lord, we thank you that we don't have to do it every, every day, every week, Lord. You were the perfect sacrifice. Father God, I pray today that you would speak to our hearts. Father God, that you would get me out of your way so your words would just flow and speak to us, Lord, and that, uh, Lord, you would convince us of all that, that you want us to know today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, a lot of times when you hear people preach on, uh, communion, they go further down in 1 Corinthians 11, but I'm actually going to start in verse 1 and work my way down because I think it's very important to understand what he's speaking, uh, Verse one's just as important as the rest when it comes to the communion part. Usually you start in verse 17, but uh, when you're doing the Lord's Supper. But it's all an examination, so uh starts out, verse 1 says, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And he's pointing out, like, don't imitate me, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So those things you see in me that are of Christ are what you should imitate, and... uh I like that because sometimes we get focused on being like somebody else, but we're all, we're all to be those kind of examples, right? When we're talking to people, they should be able to see in us Christ, right? They should see an example in us and we can say, Hey, what you see of Christ in me, take it. What you don't see of Christ in me, remember, that's just me, right? And that, that's what he's kind of saying here. Uh, now I will tell you, um, theologians pointed out a lot but and you may already know it, but paul 's a very sarcastic person so uh a lot of times when you see things in here and you 're reading it and you 're like that doesn 't line up with what actually happened to him it 's kind of sarcasm right He was like the father of sarcasm, it seems like, and it uh just kind of pointing out like this isn 't right or whatever so uh so we 'll see some of that in here and says now i commend you because you remember me and everything and maintain tr- the traditions even as i delivered them to you there's this first part of sarcasm because we know that they did not remember him and everything and they were actually very rebellious against him and they were not uh well they just weren't doing the things they should do but he's like i want to commend you for being so good at what you're doing right you know and it's kind of a sarcasm and uh Yeah, so it says, but I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of every, of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. And, uh, this is why this scripture is not preached too much anymore, is because nobody likes to talk about the part where it says the head of the wife is the husband. And, uh. I want you to understand there is a reason why he puts this in here. and uh, I'm going to come right back to it, but it says, Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. But every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. Is it it is the same as it is her head were shaven. For if a wife will not cover her head, then she should cut, off, cut her hair short. A lot of things say shave her head but since it is disgraceful for a wife to cut off her hair or shave her head, let her cover her head. And uh, these are all things that you hear constantly. People share these and they say, well, that was for that period of time. Right? That was only for a time period. And I will tell you, some of it is for a time period. But what he's speaking about is not for a time period. The actions were. Okay, so I'm going to let you know before we get back into the wife and the husband part, in that time period, the only reason why a woman would ever have her head uncovered was if she was a prostitute, right? Or if she was trying to uh, insert her authority over somebody. There was two things there. You were either a prostitute or you were trying to Show that you were you were bigger, you were better than that authority. You were better than being covered. There's no reason why you should have to be covered if a man doesn't. Does that sound like America today? Right? And it uh so there's two things there. They were either doing wrong or they were trying to uh be the ultimate authority. And so a man, the only way he would ever cover his head in public was For shame, or if he was pledging his allegiance to another authority. So, like, let's say he was Muslim or anything else, he would cover his head. Or if he was, in this time period, it probably wouldn't have been that case. But if he was following some other god, he would have covered his head in authority to that other god. Or he was doing something that was immoral, and he did not want anybody to see that he was doing it. So, like, a man who was going to buy a prostitute would cover his head so nobody's seen him. If you remember back in like, let's say probably pre-90s, whenever you would see people walking into adult bookstores, they always covered their face and they didn't want to be seen. Now they just walk in Proudly. But back in the day when you were doing something that you didn't want people to know you were doing, you always, they tried to cover their faces and they didn't want you to see. And I, I say that because I live right down the street from an adult bookstore and we'd always see them walking in with like their head down and trying to put a hat on and they didn't want you to see them. I'm thinking like, if you don't want people to see you, don't go in, right? And that's kind of what he's addressing here of their hearts were not right. And uh so he's saying whenever you come into prayer... Make sure you're right with the Lord. Make sure you're re- you're you're going in with the right heart, right? You're not serving another Lord. You're not in. You're not you're not prostituting yourself. It didn't. I, I want to point out here. He never says women can't pray. He never says women don't go in and pray. He's saying come in the way you're supposed to come in. That's the way he's saying it. Be right when you come in and pray. Be. Not to say you have to be right like have to be perfect when you go in, but go in with the right heart. And that's the way we should do it. Now I'm going back to the uh the part where it says the head of every man is Christ. Nobody ever has a problem with that part. They're like, Oh yeah, the head of every man is Christ. They don't have a problem saying it. That we don't have a problem of showing it, but uh our Admitting that, but we have a problem submitting to Christ sometimes. So we come into prayer sometimes, and we're ready to pray, but our hearts aren't ready to receive Christ's authority. We're not walking in as you're the ultimate authority. Whatever you say in this prayer, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna submit to it. And and He's pointing out that whole thought process of where, hey, when you go in, remember who you're serving. Remember who's the head. Remember who's in charge. Right. And then when he goes into the and every and where is it? And the head of a wife is her husband. Um, a lot of people try to make this lesser. They'll say like, "Well, because the woman came from the man's rib, that's all it's saying." It actually isn't saying that. It's saying just as the head of every man is Christ, the head of the wife is the husband. Never saying that they're different because he goes on and before I cover this more, it says the head of Christ is God. That's where you have to understand where this comes from. The head of Christ is God, the Father. Yet they're one. They're unified. Neither one is better than the other. Neither one is higher than the other. They are one in body. There's only one God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But somehow the head of that is God the Father. We know the plan came from God the Father. Jesus implemented right? He lived it out. And uh, I always find that very comforting whenever you have to talk about these things is Jesus Christ was never any less God, never never ever any less authority, never less, you know, nothing changes about who he is because God the Father is the authority, the head, I mean same thing in a a marriage a husband and a wife they're very much one they're very much the same they're very much equal but the head of the household is the father it's the husband and it uh now what does that look like in a perfect life it looked just the same thing as the godhead guess what we're not in a perfect life so there's a lot of strife but we we have to these are the things he's speaking of here and you're thinking, like, a lot of people will preach this and say, well, that was of that time period because the way things were back then. I'm going to tell you here in a minute, we're going to come to a point to where you understand that was not for a time period. And you may think, like, what does this have to do with communion? This is part of this thing Paul's talking about examining ourselves. We've got to make sure our hearts are pure. We've got to make sure our authority is Jesus Christ. And that's what it all comes down to, is he's talking about the head of every man. That's man, woman, everybody. Is Jesus Christ, and our hearts have to be in a place to where we're not trying to fight the authority. We're trying to submit, we're trying to be one, and we're trying to... If we're not one with Christ, we have no reason to ever take the, the elements to, to take communion, right? We need to have that. Okay. For man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man and uh I like that, and it uh first off, man should never cover his head because he should never submit to any authority like any kind of our our authority is not of earth, like do we have bosses do we have yeah and and that authority was placed unto us under God, and God said to serve all people as if serving the lord and uh our 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 obedience should always be to god we should never come into prayer we should never come into uh communion we should never come into anything without him being our ultimate authority right and uh and we are his glory we like he is, he finds he's proud he's so happy to have that and and but woman is the glory of man that is one of those things that you know. It's uh, just like Jesus is the glory of God, right? Whenever you see the glory, that's what you're seeing, and it uh, there's just such a unity and a beauty when you realize the husband and wife union, if done right, the husband's going glor- to be glorified by his wife, and and there's a head there, and I don't I don't know, I can't explain it, but it's beautiful, right? If if done right, it's beautiful. We'll go on to verse eight. It says, "For man was." Not made from woman, but woman from man. And this is always the one that uh men try to go to and then women try to go to this next it says neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. This is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Before we get to that other part, this is where I hear is where I would tell you this is for today. And for tomorrow, for that day, for if we're here a thousand years from now. It's the fact that it says this is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. he didn't say because of a time, it's because of the angels and uh I don't know about you, but the first time I ever seen that, it really caught me off guard. I'm like, what do the angels have to do about with the authority here on earth and uh you remember that one-third of all angels were thrown out of heaven because they could not submit to the authority of Jesus Christ. And when authority is done right by the humans here on earth, the angels see it. They're in awe of it. We are a representation for them. It seems to drive them nuts when you start reading more into this, it seems to drive those angels nuts whenever we're willing to submit to the authority to the way Christ had designed it, the way God the Father designed it. And uh we are to live in a way that even the angels are amazed by it. And that blows my mind. So whenever we have people who are trying to... See, I, I think one of the worst things here in America is, is we try to bring a division amongst this by saying, well you know, a woman ain't any lesser than a man or anything like that. And that's 100% true because Jesus was never lesser than God the Father. Uh, they were equal. Women and men are equal. We were all created equal. We were just created with different roles, right? There's nothing wrong with a woman doing womanly things, like things that would typically be called a womanly thing. Except for now, they try to tell women, no, you should be out doing what, you should be doing this or doing that. And then... Now that woman feels horrible because she's like, but I like doing those things or I feel like I'm called to do those things. But in our society now, they call it uh, feminism, but it actually deflates what a woman can do or who they are. And they're trying to put a woman in a man's place and a man in a woman's place. And that's not the way we were created. We were created in the image of God to glorify God for His glory. And a woman, a woman who like And and it's hard to do nowadays, but if a woman's a stay-at-home mom and she's managing a household well, there's nothing wrong with that. That is an awesome thing. If a woman has to work and she's doing her best at work and doing everything God calls her to do, there's nothing wrong with that. She can be a woman doing either one, but she's still a woman, right? And a man's still a man. I know men who are stay-at-home fathers because it works better for their family. He's still the head of the house. And uh mind you, I'm glad we're not on YouTube with this location here because i we'd probably be taken off as soon as I said a man's a man and a woman's a woman because our society doesn't like that. And we're trying to change that. And that's actually what was happening here in Corinthians. In in Corinth. They were trying to change the the roles. They were trying to Lesser what a woman should be and make her different and the men the same way and there was were just this battle. It's kind of comforting to me that it's been a battle since that long ago but then it's also kind of disheartening to know that how perfected has it gotten. Right? To the point to where we even get confused by it. Uh, Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man nor man of woman. For as woman was made from man, so man is born of woman, and all things are from God. So therefore, we are dependent on each other. It is not a, well, you heard I'm the head. Yeah, you heard I give birth to you, so I give birth to the man. So they're both necessary. They're both roles that are completely dependent on one another, but we're all dependent on God. And we have to have this understanding of authority before we ever go into communion that, the main thing is, is people see that we're dependent on God. Our hearts are dependent on Him. Our our authority is God, and and we're willing to let go of our will, let go and repent fully. And God is the authority. We are all all things are from Him. Judge for yourself for yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head cover, uncovered? Does Not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it is a disgrace for him. But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory. For her hair is given to her for a covering. If anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. And I'm going to say, it says, Does not nature itself teach us that if a man wears long hair, it is a disgrace for him? and a woman has long hair. It's what he's talking about here in that time period. A woman's glory was her hair. And whenever it talks about her hair, if you ever want to see something awesome, go back and Google sometime. Just Google uh, ancient Jewish hairstyles. And you want to talk about magnificent hairdos. Like they would put, they would make their hair look so awesome. They look like buildings. They would look like temples that like they would make they would have their hair done up in a way that like when they walked into somewhere like especially the higher like the the higher class people you would look at their hair and you'd be like wow that's that is something and a man would have never done it and so is what he's talking about is is you know enter into it as a you know with, with a pure heart like not trying to be something you're not be who you're supposed to be it's natural It's natural for a woman to be a woman, and it's natural for a man to be a man. Enter into it in that way, right? It's also natural for us to enter in under the authority of God, not trying to go in and have, like, how many of us know that oftentimes, and it's probably just me, but you can laugh at me in it, that we go to the Lord and we tell him how he should be God. Lord God, you need to do this. Father God, uh, I pray that this happens, or... You know, we go in with our authority putting it upon the Lord of what He should be doing instead of entering in and say, Father God, I don't know how to pray. I don't know what's best in this situation. You know, we're limited by our thought process. Like, I will pray for something to happen and then later on realize whenever it doesn't happen that that would have been a horrible outcome if it happened that way because God's plan was so much better. But we always try to, like, not always, often we try to, put God's our authority on God and say, God, do it this way. And he's like, wow, you're really trying to get me to do something that's not very good. Like, I, I have way better than that, right? So if we enter in and we say, God, you're the ultimate authority. We love you. Do what you need to do. And that's the way we need to enter into it. Uh, okay, now we're going to move into the Lord's Supper part. And uh, this... We'll move a little quicker, and I I say that th- that stuff for you because Paul is always talking about our hearts and where our hearts are, and he's always telling us to examine ourselves. He's always telling us to make sure we are right, and but he gives a extra caution when we go into the Lord's supper. He says, for in the following instructions, I do not commend you because when you come together, it is not for the better but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there's divisions among you. And I want to say, whenever they would come together, whenever Paul is talking about them coming together, you got to remember they come together in a feast. When they celebrated the Lord's Supper, there was going to be food. And there was a hierarchy in that time period. The people who had money, it would be like a big potluck. They would bring the best stuff. And the poor people would bring the least they didn't have to bring as much and so, in that time period, there was because it was a people looked at it more as a class society, even though we're not supposed to do that there's time we have factions within our church right so the the rich in that time period would come expecting to be treated better, and the poor would be would come and realize they were just going to be treated like dirt and there's nothing biblical about that except for that it's wrong, right? And so that's where he's going to be addressing here. And he said, uh, he's talking about the divisions. Now, I I would point out a couple things about the divisions. As Pastor Chad points out all the time, a division means there's more than one vision. The vision when you come into church should be the vision given to God for the church, not... Well, I think this, and I think that. It should be, this is what the Lord's speaking. This is the Lord's vision, and there should be a unity in that, right? And that's the way it is. There's also a division whenever you come into a place, and we have what we call cliques, right? So my click over here is better than your click over here. We automatically have division because there's no unity when we separate in separate spots. There's no unity in that. He's talking about coming in as one, but he's saying you guys have a division in your churches. Their division was a high class, low class. Our division's usually like, we like them, but what about those people over there? And you start hearing gossip amongst groups. That's the divisions you usually hear. Uh, and I believe in part, I believe it in part for there must be factions among you in order for those who are genuine among you may be recognized. I'm going to reread that because this is one that we don't like to hear too often. It says, and I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order for those who are genuine among you may be recognized. Now, there are going to be times that Paul's saying, he's not saying that it's a, it has to happen. He says, I believe in part. So he kind of believes there has to be some kind of separation, like a faction, like a clique. So those who are genuine will rise up and be able to push, you know, you'll see what is actually genuine and the rest will leave. That is a part that we usually don't catch in that. But he's actually saying factions are good as long as it gets rid of the riffraff, is what he's kind of saying. That the genuine people rise up, the riffraff fall away. And, uh, now he's not saying, he's, he's not saying it has to happen. He says, in part, I believe this has to happen for this to happen. Right? So it doesn't mean like, hey, let's start creating factions in this place so Paul's right. No, he's saying it's going to happen so the Lord can get the genuine people up and the other ones out. Right? Uh, when you come together, it is not the Lord's supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What do you not have? What? It's actually one of those things I it's like, it's a sentence within itself. What? Like he's shocked, like what? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I command, commend you in this? No, I will not. And uh, so all these people would come for the meal to celebrate the Lord's supper. To you know, they were still doing a, a form of the seder supper at times. They would come and celebrate this because Jesus actually said, "Do this every time you meet, right? Every time you come together, take the Lord's supper." But these people would they were literally fast to come to this meal and eat. And I'm going to tell you, I'm not saying I wouldn't do that because when we have potlucks, how many of us miss a meal so we can get there and we're like this is going to be awesome, right? I'm not going to eat Curtis shaking his head. That's what we do, man. It's good. Good thing is here we usually are most of us are mindful of other people. And this period it didn't happen. The rich people came and they ate first and they took everything. They were gluttonous. They would eat all they could eat and then eat some more. And then the poor people who hadn't eaten would still not be able to eat. And if they did eat, it would be the leftovers that nobody wanted. They'd be like, oh, that's uh, Margaret's uh, potato salad. It always tastes like dirt. Nobody wants that. We'll leave it for the poor, right? That's the kind of things that would happen. It was never a a bonding moment. It was never a, a unified people. It was more of a... This is what we do. This is a. It was a division. <laughs> Love that girl. It, uh. So there would always be a division when they came together. Um. It'd be humiliating. I'm not going to point out anybody. We've all been inside of a been at a meal together as a church where we're supposed to be bonding and and somebody's talking bad about the other one. Look how they're doing this. Look what they're doing. And and maybe not even meaning to, but they're bringing humiliation to that other person. Their hearts aren't pure. Right? Our hearts got to be pure when we come into the Lord's Supper. Our, we have to examine ourselves and how we look at people. We have to make sure when we're going in, we're unified. We love one another. We are one. And it's not just a one-person thing. It's a whole thing. The reason why you do it when you come together is because you're making a commitment together. You're living for the Lord together. Um, It says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he gave thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do it in remembrance of me. And it says, and when he gave thanks, I want you to know that uh, a lot of you already know that the Lord's Supper was often called the Eucharist, which means to give thanks. And so whenever he says he gives thanks, he's just saying whenever he's taking the Lord's Supper. Right. And it said, and he broke it. And then uh, it goes on after he says, do it in remembrance of me. It says in the same way he took the cup After supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me, or as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And uh so whenever they would do the Passover meals, there would be multiple cups, right? Some of you guys have sat into the Seder supper when Pastor Rod used to do it, and you would see how the Jewish Seder would go, and there was cups, there was bones there was I mean they had a ritual. It uh if a person walked into it today they'd be like what are these people doing? Right? But the cup that Jesus would have grabbed uh was was the cup that was called the cup of redemption. And that's what he was going to drink. They were going to drink the cup of redemption to where you were redeemed for God for that in that moment, for that year is what it would be. You would have a year of You're redeemed, and then you'd go and you'd start sinning again, and then you have to be re redeemed every year. And, uh, so we come together and we do this. And it does say, do this as often as you gather. I don't know if that means we should do it every week. I don't know if it means we should do it just when we celebrate, you know, Passover or whatever. I don't know how often Jesus meant it. Uh I have no problem doing it as often as we gather. If we did it every week, I'd be happy. The problem you have is the same problem they were having when you enter into it, it cannot just be a ritual. Right? It cannot just be something we do because we always do it. It has to be something that we examine our hearts and we know we're right with the Lord. It it is a beautiful thing. It uh but it's also remembering that we no longer need a sacrificial animal because Jesus is our sacrifice forever. He died on a cross for our sins. He bled to cover our sins, right? And he, uh, he did it. Like, He is the Passover Lamb. He is the reason we're here. And if we are truly in submission to Him and we're living under His authority, our lives would look it. But before you ever do communion, before you ever take the Lord's supper, your heart has to be pure in your heart. And I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. Uh, our hearts have to be right. We have to be. We have to know that we know that we know that we're 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 right with the Lord before we do it. Because if there's anything in us, Paul warns against it. He said. Uh, Whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. And whenever it says discerning the body, he doesn't just mean your body. He means discerning the body as a whole, right? So, we have to remember that this is not just like when we 're coming in here how do we how are we connected how are we how are we reacting to one another? Are we higher are we lower? Are we seeing each other as equal? Are we going into this together as one um, says, for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself this is this is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died but if but if we judge ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined, so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So well, then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be in judgment. But the other thing, I will give directions when I come. And, uh, I think for us, part of this is is to make sure we're ready. That we never do it like we're not doing this, and some, one person's over here and be like, "I don't feel like I'm right. I'm not ready." And then we're like, "Well, you got to do it anyway, right?" We don't do that. We take it as a body. We take it in unison. We gotta. We gotta make sure we're right. We gotta make sure each other are right. And uh, I don't know. We have to be prepared. So I'm gonna ask Ryan and them to to play here, and uh, we're just going to pray, I want you guys to pray, seek the Lord, make sure we're right, and then then we're going to come together and we're going to take communion, but it, uh, I don't this is a big thing when you're taking a, making a commitment to the Lord and you're entering into that, uh, you're entering into a new covenant with the Lord in this, and. And we're doing it every time we do this. You're entering into a covenant, and your heart ain't right. We know from ancient scriptures that whenever there was a covenant, that if somebody enters into a covenant and they break it, the punishment would be death. And uh, when God entered in the covenant with us, He was the only one who made the covenant, and it was death for Him. But we break it but we need to take it serious. There's nothing more serious than a commitment with God and our hearts need to be devoted to him. Our hearts need to be making sure he is our ultimate authority. He is our head. You know, the the thought process on head in scripture the way it always says head is the head of a river is where the water would flow down. It's where everything would come from. And for us, as Jesus is our head, everything would flow from Jesus down into us. Right? We're not flowing back up to Him. We're not like, "Hey, Lord, this." No, He's flowing down into us. So, uh, let's pray, and then we'll we'll uh, just pray in your seats, and then we'll come together. And we'll take. So it says for as often as you eat of this bread and drink of this cup you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes and uh, I like that it doesn't just end that you proclaim the Lord's death you proclaim it until he comes and we know that he died for us and we know he's returning for us and our proclamation has to be that very thing that he died for us and he's coming back for us if we share that and we declare that and we proclaim that the rest of the world is going to notice. But there's a few things like we take this unified but we walk out unified. In the body of Christ, all believers are unified. And As the world begins to see that, as they start seeing us more as one instead of divided, they're going to want that. As Jesus said they will know you by how you love one another. We often say they'll know us by how we love but it actually says they'll know us how we love one another. When there's divisions within a church not just a congregation but the church as a whole and they don't see us loving one another who wants to be a part of that they're like they can't even get along themselves and we're unified in christ and he's our head and we're all submitted to him first off the angels are in awe people want to be a part of it right? so i'm going to close with some prayer and uh thank the Lord for what he's done for us. and I'm glad that he's our head. I hope we can walk in that. So, Father God, I thank you for who you are, Lord. Thank you for today, Lord. Jesus, you are far better than anything we ever deserved, but you still said we are worthy. You loved us. You died for us. You gave your all, Lord, and we will always proclaim that, Lord. We're also going going to always share the hope we have in you, Lord, that, that there will be a time when one with you in heaven God right now we live in your righteousness because of what you've done Lord because your body was broken and your blood was shed Lord but there's a time when we get to be right with you just because of righteousness sake Lord and I thank you for that and I love you for that Lord God help us throughout this week to be able to proclaim who you are Lord to show your love to one another Lord and Father God help us continue to walk in unity reverence for you. Help us be set apart and holy. Let us be such a representation of you. In Jesus name we pray. Amen.